It's been good all morning, amen? I am so thrilled to see many of you uh, that uh, feel safe enough to come back this morning, first time we've seen each other in a while, and I'm so thankful to see each one of you, uh, but Bear with me this morning. It's a very special day for many reasons. There's mile markers in our lives that uh, sometimes when we're driving above the speed limit of life, we miss. It's the way I always measure my, where my kids are when we're talking, when they're going back to school or coming home. So what mile marker are you? And in my mind, I know exactly where they are. Um... Aiden, son, I'm so happy to see you. Amen. Amen. And Philip and Bronwyn and so many others here today. God's good, isn't he? Amen. 31 years ago, I was at church. It was a Wednesday night, prayer meeting. Bible study. Of course, back then we didn't call it Bible study. We called it Wednesday night church. And the preacher preached. It was the last worship service that I would attend as a single man. For that Saturday, my bride walked in the door. And we said, I do. Wednesday, we'll celebrate 31 years uh, married. Now, uh, Y'all love me from a distance, but she lives with me. And so you just don't know how miraculous that is. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful that God has answered our prayers in so many ways. I talked to my buddy, and if you've been a member here since I started pastoring, you'll remember Billy Smith, Dr. Billy Smith, that preached revival for us our first year here. And uh, Billy... Uh, Billy's a very unique character. Billy pastored West Rome Baptist Church before and after uh, Jerry Vines, and he always joked that he prepared the way for him and then had to come in and clean his mess up. Uh, Billy is a, a deep man of faith, a man that has mentored me from Mississippi, living there. He has been a full-time evangelist. He has pastored the stories he tells of doing weddings. He pastored in Memphis. Uh, he pastored Sherwood Baptist Church. And if you've watched the movie Facing the Giants, uh, you saw the football program. That's actually the football program at Sherwood Baptist Church. Billy started that school along with other churches. Billy is a great man of God. He called me yesterday to kind of rub it in a little bit. And uh, he said, uh, who, who'd, who'd your boys play Friday night? He said, I don't know. I don't go to games anymore. And uh, he said, oh, you don't know? I said, ah, it's Pierce County. He said, uh, how'd that go? I said, not well. He said, that's my brother-in-law's son. Used to be at Oxford, uh, Oxford High School over here in Alabama, won the state championship. So he was rubbing it in, but then we got talking about things of the Lord. And when he got off phone, he always tells me, he said, love you, old boy. Love you, son. But he said this. 
He said, remember, stay on your knees. That's where you win. He's never said that to me before. And it hit me like a ton of lead. Stay on your knees, boy. That's where you win. And I was so convicted. I began to churn that. And I said, well, I pray in the truck and I pray in my office. But the Bible tells us and shows us about humbling ourselves and getting down on our knees. And I just went in my office at home. I got on my knees. I said, God, I want to win. I want you to win in life. And I've seen what God has done through 31 years of marriage and through more than that in ministry and 20 some odd years in pastoring. This is the most unique and in some ways stressful times I've ever had in ministry. I've never sat in service and saw people with masks on. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I'm not ridiculing anyone. It's just I've never done that before. We've never had to cancel Sunday school for anything more than just your average run-of-the-mill hurricane or flood or something like that or maybe a good snow, but not for such a length of time. Wednesday night, Sunday school teachers, leaders, we're going to meet in the sanctuary at 6.30 in preparation to start Sunday school with nursery and Wednesday night services back on the week of October 4th. Churches all around us, many have, are beginning today. Some have begun in the last two weeks. We're going, that's why we're meeting. We're, it's going to be safe. Thank God he has protected us. We do not have, as I said last week, one single contact trace back to the church. And so... Come Wednesday night, we will social distance. You can come through the Welcome Center, come through the front doors, come through the social, we'll have the doors open. Come Wednesday night workers, we're going to have logistics so that you will be able to uh, disseminate the information to your class members. Some classrooms are going to move so they'll have larger classrooms, larger sizes, so we're not sitting like this you will have assigned entrances and exits. Everybody will not come through the Welcome Center. There will be some that come on the back of the education building by uh, the Little Red School. There will be some who come through the social hall. There will be many means of ingress, egress. And one thing is we expect every single one of us even if you absolutely despise them, we expect everyone out of respect for one another to wear a mask coming and going to your Sunday school class. Take it off when you get in there. But just think of it. Don't think about yourself. Think about someone else. And for a level of security, we, we strongly uh, expect you to wear that mask coming and going. Okay? So that's some housekeeping on that. Wednesday night, sanctuary, 6.30. If you work in Sunday school, you work in Wednesday night. You need to be there for that. Then nine years ago, let's get back to the whole benchmark. None of this is in the message, but nine years ago, there is uh, 
five people in this room that was in church with me that Sunday. Only five in this room. You know what it is? You know what it is, Steve? Vanessa, do you know what that day was? Nine years ago at the Baptist Tabernacle in Buchanan, Georgia, I began a revival service there. And as the service began, eight people that I had not known at all a month before, talked to a few on the phone, they come piling through the back door and sat on a couple of back roads in that church. It would be the day that the pastor search committee of the Eastside Baptist Church would come and hear me preach in person and return back here to make a decision. A couple of months later, on a Sunday before Thanksgiving, I would preach in view of a call and the church would vote. And then nine years ago, this January 1st, uh, I was preached the first message as pastor here. A lot of things have changed, haven't they? But a lot of things remain the same. And the number one thing that remains the same from the time that I walked an aisle in 1972 and professed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior to the Wednesday night that I walked the aisle and told the pastor that God had called me into the ministry to the Saturday that we worshiped uh, in the covenant of marriage together 31 years ago to the first uh, message that you heard live of me uh, nine years ago to today. One thing remains the same. Truth. The truth that is Jesus Christ. This morning, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. As we pick up a fourth message in our series, You Have Been Warned. Think about it. Peter is not, Peter is not preaching uh, messages that he had not had to live first. And people sometimes talk about the long messages. Listen, you only have to sit through it for an hour. I sit through it all week long as God absolutely prunes me and preaches to me what I understand and preach to you on Sunday. And if I go long, listen, and I don't mean about today, I'm talking about any day. Please, please take just one quick moment before you think about if he would just let us go, we could get in line earlier or, you know, we've got this, we've got that. Please understand, I just want people to hear God's word. That's my heart's desire that we'll hear. Peter had lived what he's now telling them. He had not paid attention. When God, the Son, Jesus Christ, warned him, your, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. He didn't listen, did he? He spoke when he should have listened. He acted when he should have watched. But now... He has learned, and as an older man, prepared to face death for his Savior, he now tells us, he tells us what we must do. Look back at that, our theme verse right here from 2 Peter 3, 17. Beloved, dear brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
seeing that you know these things beforehand, before this week comes, before what may ever happen, I'm going to tell you something. Before a Supreme Court justice dies, God knew. Before COVID, God knew. Before we got married 31 years ago, God knew. God knew before my parents were born. God knew before my grandparents were born. God knew before he even created Adam and Eve. God knows. May we know. May we know before whatever may come that the Lord is on our side. May we know truth that is Jesus Christ. And may we beware of what may come. And so look at the next slide. Pay attention. In verse 19, he tells us this. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. You ever read the Old Testament? Eric and I talked about this the other day. We were talking about Isaiah and we were on the phone. We talked about all those things. And we, we hear prophecy all the way back to Genesis 3.15 where God prophesies of his son coming. It is the proto-evangelism. It is God proclaiming a Messiah is coming. We see it all through the Old Testament. We see it through Samuel. We see it through Daniel. We see it through Amos. We see it through Joel. We see it through Elijah and Elisha. We see it through Isaiah and Habakkuk and Obadiah, and Malachi, and Zephaniah, and Zechariah. We see God prophesying. We see it through John the Baptist. But he says, we now have it confirmed. What they said happened. From Isaiah 7.14 that Eric and I talked about, to Isaiah 9.6, to Isaiah 53, to Psalm 2, to all the prophecies of Jesus, Jesus came. Jesus lived. Jesus died. And hallelujah, Jesus lives. The gospel, that prophetic word, was proclaimed and now confirmed, he said, which you do well to heed. Or you do well to pay attention it would serve you well. You ever been told that by an older person, a parent, a grandparent, an old boss? It'd, it'd go a long way, old son, if you'd pay attention. Teachers, you ever told somebody in your class to pay attention? You better pay attention. There's going to be a test. Pay attention. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that great proclaimer of the word, in, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in uh, uh, Great Britain. A man who lived a life fraught with depression. A man who struggled with his own inner demons but never failed to stand in the power and glory of the Lord knowing that he, she, uh, he was a victor in the power of the Lord proclaimed. Discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between what is right and what is wrong. Now we think we just, we're the first generation that's ever had gray between white and black. We're, we think we're the first ones that's ever dealt with, well, that, uh, we don't, it, it's not just cut and dry. Spurgeon 
said discernment is not simply a matter of telling the difference between what is right and wrong. Rather, discernment is being able to tell the difference between what is right and what is almost right. Can I add a PS to that? Almost right is completely wrong. And he knew that. He understood that. But he was drawing a picture of it's not always real obvious what the answers are. Multiple choice can be really good or it can be really confusing. You can say, is this a trick question? I, I mean, I don't recognize any of this. And then they put something at the bottom that says all of the above or none of the above. And so you start wondering, what, what do I do? Well, I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to go through life in multiple choice. Not with the Lord. The prophets have declared truth. And so I want you to read with me in 2 Peter. And we've, we've got to hurry. There's a lot of meat here, so buckle up. You know, they're, they're checking check you, your, your safety devices because we're fixing to go on a quick, hard, fast ride. Verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father the honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed. As a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns, amen, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, first things first, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Amen. For the prophecy which came by the will of man came, never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We know 2 Timothy 3.16. Theonoustos, God breathed. But there were also, look at chapter 2, verse 1. There were also false prophets. So he bookends, he said, first, there's false prophecies, there's lies, there's innuendos, there, there's false truths, and there's false prophets. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. If there's ever been a day that we have seen truth or the attempt to dilute truth, to make it configured to our way of thinking, our way of understanding, or whatever it may be, our wants, our desires, it's today. First of all, look at the false truths. In verse 16, Peter said, we did not follow cunningly devised fables. If you have been to college, they used to teach some in high school, 
I don't know how much they still do. But you learned about Greek mythology and you learned about very, very famous uh, Greek and Roman myths and some of the stuff from the ancient days. And we, we know we had cartoons of, uh, of Zeus and Hermes and we, we saw the gods of thunder and we, we saw all of these things. We see Thor in a whole different uh, uh, Norwegian uh, type of uh, mythology. But I'm here to tell you, our dear friend, Captain Brian Myers says, one of the growing religions in the army is a faith and belief in that realm of, of mythology of Valhalla. You've seen t-shirts, all of you that are very patriotic and, and you, you've bought the shirts or you've seen the things with the American flag and, you know, do not tread on me and the snake and all those things. But you've seen some and I've seen them and it says, Till Valhalla. That is the war cry. That is the belief in Thor and all of that real out reality. And Valhalla is to their belief as nirvana is to those of Eastern mysticism. As the third heaven is to a Mormon. They really believe that. They, they greet and they exit from one another, not with hello and goodbye, not with aloha, but with till Valhalla. I've seen it on post. I've seen it. It's not a joke. These people are basing their lives on a lie. You see, it looks right, but it isn't. It's like saying, well, there's a higher power. Aren't you glad we know his name? Aren't you glad it's not just some pie in the sky, big, big something or another up there that's somewhere? I, I know we may say it and we mean well, but listen. Let's stop with the dumbing it down, okay? He's a whole lot more than the man upstairs. Okay? He's a whole lot more than the big guy. He's a whole lot more than thinking everybody and anybody's going to get there and everything's going to be all right and they're on the other side. First of all, cunningly devised. Cunningly devised. Think about it. They came and said, Pilate, he's not there. He's not there. What do you mean he's not there? Caesar's seal was on it. Who broke it? Nobody. It's just broke. It's the, we had guards there. I don't know what to tell you. He must be alive. No, no, no. Don't, don't ever say that again. You'll die the death. No. You go and you plant and tell everybody that his disciples stole him. You remember this? Church, let me tell you how, how dangerous things that look right that aren't. Young people, when you're caught, just be caught because we all mess up. But in the famous words of the great theologian, Aubrey Brady, you tell another lie, you got to tell another lie to cover that lie up, and before long, you're so deep, you don't know which way is up. And in the famous words of my uh, dear 
friend that's with the Lord now, former Georgia State Patrol, and became Pastor Mike, Mike Lively. He said, listen, preacher, he said, the truth will stand when the world's on fire. We've got to understand, this is how dangerous it is. Pilate started that in the ears of a few soldiers, and the entire nation of Israel still buys it. People have died and gone to hell for over 2,000 years because they were sold a cunningly devised fable. Tell everybody. How about this? All the way back to the very first book. Everybody in this room is affected by this lie. Satan says, what's, what's the deal? Comes slithering in. He always slithers in. Come slithering into this family. Come slithering into this woman's life. Come slithering into Adam's home, the garden. He said, what did God tell you? God said, don't eat of that. What do you mean don't eat of that? Well, if we eat of that, you, he said, we'll die. He changed one word. It looked right, but it wasn't. You know how I know it wasn't right? Because you're here today and I'm here today. And because we must repent of our sins and trust the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had to come to this earth because of this lie. Satan said, ye shall not surely die. Little things, young people. Pay attention. Take heed, wives. Husbands, pay attention to the little words that people plant in your mind. Take very good care to listen to the little words of politicians and news reporters and coaches and teachers and all the other influences in our life. Because you see, false narratives, false narratives changes factual focus. Think about this. False narratives. We hear it sold to us every day in the news. Every day, false narratives. How about some of these? The Span Spanish Inquisition. Know anything about history? The Roman Catholic Church killed people wholesale, and they said they did it for the Lord, they did it for the church, but it was because they would not adjust to the dogmatic beliefs of the church, which had become polluted by the power-hungry popes over hundreds of years. They killed Christians who believed in believer's baptism wholesale. All throughout Europe, not just in Spain. And then we end up with the Anabaptist heroes, such as Hubmeyer. And man's and Hans Hut and so 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 many more Christians today are being killed because of false narratives. It changes factual focus, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Not too long ago, we quoted that verse about Paul. Paul said. I've not reached the prize yet. I've not reached the goal. So I must keep my eyes on the mark of the prize. Not on the prize. It's not about the prize. It's about on the mark. 
where God wants us to go and what God wants us to do. Y'all with me so far? 82 years ago. You remember this? No. 82 years ago, before TV was a big thing, 1938, in an evening radio broadcast, they began to play, uh, talk about the weather and talk about regular news and all this stuff. And in the middle of the, and they had said what they were going to do, but some people wasn't listening. They were out in, in the fields. They were milking the cows. I don't know, shearing the sheep. I don't, they were at work. And so when they came in, they missed that part of the announcement. And in the middle of this weather report and stuff, you hear, ding, 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 ding. we interrupt this for breaking news, and thus began Orson Welles' recitation of War of the Worlds, of an alien invasion and all these other things that were going on. And by the time the dust had settled, people had committed suicide and were jumping out of windows. There was mass hysteria throughout the United States because of this radio broadcast. Orson Welles carried that burden the rest of his life because of a false narrative. It was fiction. They presented it as fiction, but everybody didn't know that before it began. How about the fact that people have said there, there was no holocaust. How could anybody believe that? Many believe that. Hey, if you can believe the earth's flat, you can believe there was no holocaust. Just telling you. you. You laugh, but that's been very popular the last three or four years. In a flat earth theory again that we did not go to the moon, it was all staged in Hollywood. Many, many false narratives because they changed the focus of what we ought to be focused on. Fact. No holocaust. And I want to just take just a quick minute. Listen, I grieve the death of any person because anybody that dies, the worst serial killer to the greatest, sweetest grandma. Anybody that dies, I grieve it because they were made in the image of God. Every life matters to the Lord. But I'm here to tell you, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not a hero. And today she stands, she stood, she met God face to face and had to face what she faced. Listen, saying she was a wonderful person is like saying Hitler was a great leader besides all the other stuff. Make no mistake about it, since she took that bench and even before she voted in favor of partial birth abortions and to bar any rules against abortion every single time it came up. That blood's on her hands as well as many others. There's many culpable. 
So you see, and even some of you right now may have got your feathers a little ruffled about that. I don't care. Because truth will always prevail. You say, oh, but she was sweet. Yes. So Hitler was liked by his friends too. Stalin was greatly embraced by his inner circle. It didn't stop him from killing his own wife and killing those around him. You see, false narratives, all police are bad. It's like judging every single preacher on what, what was his name, Bob, Bill, Bob, him and his big-haired woman that had the air-conditioned doghouse. Don't matter. Yo, Baker. That one. Bill, Bob, Jim. Probably all three of them. But I've read up on him. He didn't start like that. He started off dead poor, doing it for the right reason, having tent revivals. And somebody told him how wonderful he was, and he made the fatal mistake of believing them. Now, the, the grinning guy over in Houston, I don't know that he's ever met Jesus. Because I'm telling you, we cannot govern or we cannot believe all police are bad because of the actions of one or two any more than we can believe every doctor is bad, every lawyer's bad, every, uh, every preacher's bad. But the world wants us to stereotype this, to believe BLM over pro-life. I'm here to tell you, if you're more pro-BLM than you are pro-life, you need to check where you stand with the Lord. You say, preacher, you're not for black life. Did you not hear what I said? Every single person... Red, yellow, black, or white, they are precious in His sight. It's a false narrative to say that anybody that doesn't say exactly what we say, and that's what they'll tell you, say their name, say their name, say their name, bend down, confess this, sing this song. I'm here to tell you. You say, this is not popular. Truth is truth. And the truth is, Jesus died for the world. He died for George Floyd. He died for the police that put his knee on his neck. He died for Ted Bundy, and he died for Billy Graham. Jesus Christ is the answer, church, not politics. Do not buy into false narratives. And if you don't realize with a seat open on the Supreme Court telling us that this is the most important election of our entire lifetime, you better wake up. Do you understand that this will literally change the course of American history? You say, oh, but the boy, if it happens one way, the fight will... Hey, I would rather be in a hard fight every day and things be right then have ease and everything be wrong. The Bible said, woe to them who are at ease in Zion. 
We sit over there and we hang our harps on the willows, not because we're ready to play them in worship, because we've given up putting God supreme in everything in our life. Not only do we see things that look right, but is it? They're, they're cunningly devised. As we've said, you shall not surely die. I got news for you. You rub all the cream on it. You can take all the self-help, holistic pills you want. You're going to die. Now, there are ways that you can help prevent an early demise. I'm doing that. I went to the doctor this week. Why'd you go to the doctor? Because I wanted to. Say, so you're an idiot. No, I realize statistically, if I go to the doctor regularly, every three months, have my blood work done, have my blood pressure checked, because of uh, underlying issues, because of genetics, my statistics, now I may walk out here and lightning strike me, but statistically, if I'll take care of myself, and God tells us to, then I've got a greater chance of living longer and being the father, being the husband, being the pastor God wants me to be. Don't be ignorant. And that's why we want to support everyone by totally expecting everyone to wear masks as we pass in the hallways, as we start back to Sunday school. Listen, don't buy any, because people sit around and listen, this is, they are literally, the world and Satan are literally sitting around planning how they may try to cause you to stumble. They are cunningly very smart. And Satan's not stupid. Satan's not stupid. Okay? Satan is after you. And he's doing it with cunningly devised fables. You better wake up and hear the truth. But then the fables. When I was a child, my mother would tell me every mother goose fairy tale and anything from memory. And I'm not talking about ad-libbing. I'm talking about verbatim. She could sing every song, hear all that stuff. Have you ever listened to some of that stuff? The stuff especially that was written and came up around World War II, those people were the most just, you, you think about Ring Around the Roses. If you listen to that, that's about death and destruction and bombs falling on London. Some of that stuff's pretty heavy. But listen, I knew all about all that stuff. But one thing, there was a difference when mama would tell us fairy tales and when they, they would sit down and read the word of God and said, now this is not a fairy tale, this is true. Jesus is real. But see, they have sold it as just a fairy tale. Tradition over doctrine. Tradition over doctrine. I'm telling you, you may have the greatest parents known to man, but if they taught you anything other than Jesus Christ as the only way, the only truth, and the only life, they lied to you. Now, they may not have meant to lie to you, but they lied to you. Every one of us bring a pre-understanding into our marriages, into our ministries, into our lives. What our parents taught us, our grandparents, what, what we hear at church, what we hear in school, what our coaches say, what our coaches do. 
We must never base our lives on sheer tradition over doctrine. The Bible says scripture is given and is profitable for doctrine, right? Fiction over fact. Fiction over fact. Ethan and I love to watch the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We can tell you from starting at the first one and which one goes after which one. We can talk about all the underlying things that go and the little secret signs and some of the obscure moments of some of those movies. But when we're done, we're talking about it in depth and Becky looks at us like we're crazy. We still know it's not real. There are no genetic superhuman Captain Americas that lived in cryo for 70 years. There are no Captain Marvels through an explosion of a bomb or a plane or a secret weapon that this plasma overcame and we've all finally had to come to the conclusion she's actually the greatest of all of them. When you look at strength and ability and all that, there is no Thor that will split the the, the heavens and come from the hinterland into our universe. There is no such thing. There is no Wakanda. And it was not Prince T'Challa that faced God. It was the man who played him. Fact over fiction. Here's some of materialism. I'm going to go real quick. But get it, because one of them may, or many may apply to you. Materialism that we live in today. We're still talking about false truths. Materialism teaches us a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. When it's all about prosperity, prosperity, you live right, and you give right, you sow into this, you sow into that, then you'll have all this other stuff. God never promised us to be rich on this side of the glory. Rich in faith, maybe. Not rich in money. He said he chose the poor to be what? Rich in faith. We think, well, if I go, and the first time something goes wrong, we get sick, something goes wrong, first thing we do, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Have you not read the book of Job? Job didn't do anything wrong for a direct correlation to the absolute unadulterated satanic attack that came on him in his life. It was actually quite the opposite, was it not? Satan unleashed all of hell because, get this, sovereign God had to let him. He couldn't do it without God's permission. And if you say, well, why would a loving God do that? Because he wants to grow us. God doesn't tempt us. The Bible teaches that God grows us. Satan tempts us. You see, materialism is the idea that it's all about the money. It's all about the things that we can accomplish and the things that we can gather and the things that we can build up here on this side of the earth. I preached hundreds and hundreds of funerals, but I have yet, I have yet to see an armored car followed the hearse to the cemetery. Oh, and I've seen a lot of stuff shoved in caskets. 
I've seen every kind of picture and old hat, packs of chewing tobacco and all this other. I've seen it all. You know, there's two things that I've never seen in there. Expensive jewelry and credit cards. You know, my grandmama, she loved to shop. She, I'm just going to give her all my credit cards. I ain't going to need them anymore. Yeah, that don't happen. And while everybody's looking around, they're trying to squeak everything off their fingers. That's truth. That is truth. Listen, materialism, revisionism. We're facing this more and more in society today. This is cultural truth. Can I tell you that America in 2020 doesn't have a different truth than America did in 1960 or in 1690 or a different truth than was in Israel when Nehemiah said, we're going to build a wall, or when Ezra said, repent, kneel down and pray, or when we hear the words in 2 Chronicles to turn back to God, or when David cried out, against you only have I sinned. There is no difference. Stop with the relativistic ideas. It's all relative. It's relative to the culture. We've bought into a lie. You know why? We don't want anybody to confront us. And it is amazing how people change their beliefs when a family member or a close friend gets into something or doing something that is culturally popular but against God's law. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. We still hate the sin even though we still love the sinner. But do not capitulate your stance on truth. We must not accept fiction over fact because of the revisionist beliefs. Situational ethics. The whole idea that every situation can be different. Well, if it's this, well, that's what the law says. Well, that's what this says. That's what I can remember when they told Peter. You're going to shut up. Paul, you're going to shut up. You ain't going to say that anymore. And their exact words was, it's better to obey God than men. Can I tell you something? That day is today. Church, do you hear what I said? Do you respect me as your pastor? Do you believe I tell you the truth? And hear what I'm telling you. Today is the day. It's better to obey God than men. Men's ideas, men's thinking, listen, we, we think if we can tear down the monuments to our history, that history doesn't exist. It's revisionists. But the truth is, if we can make Jesus disappear and the idea of religion, if we can get religion out of our schools, religion out of the courthouse, into the point that we've taken Jesus out of the church, it's more about a social gathering. If we do anything in this church, and Jesus is not high and lifted up, then we have wasted our time. Go watch a ball game. Universalism. Oh, all roads lead to God. Osteen said that on TV. He said, well, I don't really tell anybody that they're sinners, you know, it's such a vague. I've been to India, I've seen them over there, and they're very sincere. I'll tell you something. You can be as sincere as you want. 
and say, I'm going to Israel. I'm going to go to the Holy Land. Man, I'm going to see where Jesus walked. I'm going to go across the Sea of Galilee. But you get on a plane and the gate says Barcelona, Spain, you're not going to end up in Israel. I don't care how sincere you are. You get on the wrong plane, you go into wherever it goes. Right? You go right down 301 right there. And when you get to I-16, it says, I'm on my way to see the ocean. I'm going down to Savannah, going to go out on Tybee. I'm going to see the ocean. And you go over and turn left, you're going to see Macon. I don't care how sincere you are. Sincerity don't mean squat. If you don't have directional truth, not situational truth, universalism, all this all, all roads lead to one, but institutionalism, this is where we're at today. Just let the government handle it. I heard a farmer ask one of the politicians the other day, what are you going to do about all these restrictions and all these guidelines that we can't hardly work because you, we can't, we're, you're afraid that we may you know, mess with something with the water and it kills seven skinks, some kind of lizard that we ain't ever even seen and all this other stuff. And they said, oh, don't worry about it. You just need to quit that and, and, and just haul manure. That's the new thing. Just haul manure. They told them, forget everything you've ever done and do what we tell you to do. The Green New Deal. The Green New Deal will absolutely wreck America if one-tenth of it came in. Do you know why we have fossil fuels? Because God gave us fossils. You say, why? Why did all the dinosaurs die? God knew how much we were going to love our cars and trucks. Amen. He said he'd give us the desires of our hearts. Now, I'm kind of joking about that. But the truth is, hear me. Socialism, communism, fascism, Marxism, all those isms are telling us, just trust us. Society, government, even religions, we'll save you. We'll take care of you. Yeah, how's that social security thing working out for you? Huh? I saw a video of this young man. He got his first paycheck. First paycheck. Like 16 years old. His daddy picked him up, took him, got his first paycheck. He got in the back seat. He's like, yeah, man, I got my money. Uh, you know, made bank. You know, he's all that kind of stuff. He said, well, open it up. He opens it up and he pulls it. Yeah, yeah. What? What is this? What is this? And they took my money. No, they didn't take their money, your money. They took their money. Pay taxes first. Well, I ain't got to pay taxes. You got to pay taxes unless you want to go to jail. And it was like 300 bucks. He only had to pay $28 on that check at his age and stuff. Wait till it gets to 33 and 47 and 60% and all this other. They tax you coming in. They tax you going out. Tax, tax, tax. Do you know the original document said we are to never be taxed more than 1% and under duress in the worst cases at the most 2%? You breathe, they're going to tax you on that, 2%.
But then they say, yeah, but we're going to give you roads. We're going to give you privatized our, our public health. We're going to give you all the drugs you need. They're scaring our senior adults slammed to death. Oh, this one, we, they'll abandon everything. And every, Have you made it yet? I'm going to tell you, I don't care who gets elected. God's going to take care of you. How about that? I do care who's elected, but I'm telling you, I have lived, and, and I, I, I was born, I was born with Lyndon B. Johnson in office. And when Lyndon B. Johnson says, I will neither run, I will not accept, blah, 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 and then Nixon run, and when, uh, Richard Milhouse Nixon took over and everything looked good and he met with China and he did all this other stuff. Not a crook. Usually if they have to cry out, I'm not a crook, they're a crook. And he has to resign the office in shame and then we see a man who wasn't even voted into office become president. A man because Spiro Agnew, the vice president, do you know this? The vice president had already resigned and quit and so Ford had moved up into the vice president. He wasn't even voted on for president or vice president. Gerald Ford becomes our president. And then Gerald Ford, and then we have Jimmy Carter. And then we have Ronald Reagan and H.W. and Slick Willie and W. and Obama and now Trump. And I'm here to tell you, I'll be 56 if the Lord lets me live about three more weeks. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God's going to take care of us, church. Don't buy into the fables of institutionalism. Agnosticism says you can't know if there's a God, so live it up and don't bother. We can't know if there's a God. That's what agnosticism tells us. Oh, I'm agnostic. What does that mean? I don't know if there is a God. And, and there's no way for us to really know. And so I'm just going to live however I want, and maybe it works out, maybe it don't. Atheism says there is no God, so I am really going to live it up. I am all there is. Carl Sagan said this cosmos is all there is. Nitschke, I've told you, Nitschke said, and all the world loves to quote all these talking heads, Nitschke and Voltaire and Bacon and Spinoza and all of the great enlightenment, I'm going to tell you, there wasn't nothing enlightening about that period. It was a bunch of talking heads that didn't know anything. They were empty vessels that could hold no water. They were winds without any rain in them. Nitschke said, there is no God. I know this, for I have killed him. Where did I kill him? For I have killed him in my mind. Atheism. My friends, in the beginning... In the beginning, God. Right? Is that in your Bible? Genesis 1-1, right? It's not the only place. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What Word? The truth. What truth? The way. What way? The life. Jesus Christ. In the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning, God. 
That's truth, church. And that's the truth that we hang our hat on. That's the truth that we depend on. That's the truth that our faith carries us to glory in. God. But notice false prophets and false teachers. Chapter 2, verse 1. There were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So how do we deal with this? Well, listen, what is a false prophet? What is a false teacher? One who does not speak or live truth. That's the benchmark, right? Do we see false prophets in the Old Testament? Absolutely. We see them that were all about their own thing. What about Balaam? Balaam? You know? And there were many, many others. We see them in the New Testament. We see the seven sons of Sceva trying to work as a false teacher and cast out demons. And the demons jumped on them and sent them home naked, wounded, and embarrassed. You see, it's one who does not speak or live truth. All things, hear me now, all things, when you hear something that sounds really good, prop it up, all things must be measured according to Jesus and His Word. You know, the problem is we just don't know enough of His Word. We can tell you every score of who won who lost yesterday. We can tell you about who got a home run in the Braves game. We can tell you about who hit the last grand slam. We can tell you who's running for every office in the nation. We can tell you every word of the latest country song, but we can't tell you God's Word. And I tell you, when you're laying on your deathbed, you're not going to worry about what the latest country or pop song is. You're not going to worry about what the score was. Your last thoughts, your last moments in this life will be about who Jesus is to you. So, what about real ones? Real or true prophets and teachers are defined and recognized by these three things. First of all, Holy living by the word of God. Look back in verse 19, the first part. So we have the prophetic word proclaimed. We have the prophetic word confirmed. It was confirmed. So what they said happened, right? So when Isaiah tells us in verse 53 that Jesus would be wounded, and receive stripes. When we hear in Zechariah about the wounds in his hands and his feet, you know that's in the Old Testament. When we hear about him riding in on a donkey, when we hear that he would come from Bethlehem, when we hear all of that, did it happen? Then it was confirmed, right? It was confirmed. Holy living. These prophets lived a life that was holy before the Lord. So we have the prophetic word confirmed. They were men. They were those who live today. Teachers, men and women whose life confirms what they say. Michelle says this all the time. It does not matter what you know until people or people don't care what you know until they know that you care. 
your life speaks volumes. Now, I don't agree, and I don't even think St. Augustine said it to start with, but the whole idea, and I get the premise, and I agree with the premise that preach the gospel, and if you must, use words. Jesus gave us words. 600,000 verses in the Old Testament, 300,000 verses in the New, 39 books, 27 books, 67 books. God didn't waste the prophet's time. God didn't waste the author's time. God will not waste our time by giving us words if he doesn't want us to use them. Don't tell people what you think. Tell them what God said. That's what will matter. You ever said something absolutely, positively, 100%? Convinced it was right and you was wrong? I know exactly what crow tastes like. Grilled, pulled, fried. I mean, listen, I've eaten a lot of crow. But when I say what God says, then I eat the meat that big juicy steak of the Lord because he said it and it is confirmed. Holy living by the word of God. Listen, if you're a teacher of the word of God, you teach one of these Sunday school classes, you're a mama or daddy that teaches your kids, they're watching you. Crickets. Wait till they quote you. That's why I got to be careful. Because that right there don't miss anything I say. Them over there don't miss anything I say. That one right there for almost 21 years, he don't miss anything I say. And it's never the stuff that I think I, they hear everything. Listen, we must be seen as following the will of God. Look in the latter part of verse 19. He says, You do well to pay attention as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The world's got to see you taking heed to him, following the will of God, doing what God wants you to do. Not what's popular, not what's cultural, not what's societal. Now, sometimes they're in unison. But when it parts, stay with God. When you feel like all your friends will forsake you, you know you've got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen? Follow the will of God. But then spirit-led in our walk with God. The very ending. Listen, look at verse 21. Where prophecy never came by the will of man. It's not about our will. It's not about what we want. It's not about our expectations or our goals. It's about His will. Jesus said the standard when He said, Not my will, Father, but Thy will be done. But in the latter part of 21, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You don't save yourself a lot of heartache. I'm talking about earned heartache that you deserve. Speak. When God hadn't told you to. Tell everybody what you think, what you want. 
Get on social media. Convinced that once you write it, everybody will just conform and it'll all be all right. I can assure you, they somebody that's antithetical with everything you say, everything you believe, and they're not going to hesitate for a second to tell you. You're going to get on social media, brag on your family, brag on your church, brag on Jesus, and leave the rest alone. I've learned that lesson the hard way. Be led by the Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit, doing what God wants. There's some of you need to start helping with Sunday school. There's some of you that need to address the fears and the doubts in your life, and you need to help with nursery. You need to help with toddlers. You need to be a partner teacher in some of our young classes, our youth classes, our, our, our middle grade classes. You need to be helping. God's got a call on your life. Stop running and be spirit-led. And then finally, to this morning, focus on real truth. Real truth. I'm going to be quick. He said in verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When such a voice came to him, talking about the transfiguration, came from him, to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Remember, Peter was so moved emotionally. He wanted to build tabernacles. He wanted to set up tents. God said, that's not what it's about. Look, it's Jesus. It's my son in whom I am well pleased. Notice this. He said in verse 16, We've not followed the cunning devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we made known Jesus. Focus on real truth. When we come into Sunday school, when we come into uh, our gatherings in our home, when we are in the locker room, when we are at work, when we're in the store, store when we are there, we are to make known Jesus. No matter where we go, make him known. How do we do that? First of all, his power. He tells us right here, very succinctly. He said, I've made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Real quick, his power over what? His power is a, I mean, it's sovereign power, right? It's omniscience, it's omnipotent, all-powerful. It's power over creation. We read in Genesis, He was there. He created in the person of God. So how about when He came, even 100% man, He was still 100% God, right? That's why we have the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, to deal with the heresies that He wasn't 100% God. He was 100% God. And so you know what? He come walking on the water. Yeah, can you do that? Laws of nature won't let you. Guess who wrote the laws? And who writes the laws is over the law. God wrote the law. Jesus is God. Jesus did whatever. He'd be there and he'd pass out of their midst. You remember when they tried to kill him one time? He was there and he was gone. Jesus 
is all-powerful over creation. He's all-powerful over sin. This ought to give you victory today because the wages of sin is death. And so it begins with sin. Jesus was born without original sin. Mary wasn't. That's a false doctrine perpetrated on the world because if you're going to pray to Mary, then the only way to pray to Mary is to be able to justify praying to her. And the only way you can justify praying to her is to say that she deserves it. And the only way you can say she deserves it is if she was born without original sin. And they missed the full weight of the Spirit overwhelming and overshadowing and conceiving that incorruptible seed in the woman. You see, Jesus, born without sin, lived without sin, and died without sin, thus granting him power over death. Healing, listen, healing before death and even power over death after it's happened. Listen, did Jesus not raise people who were sick? Remember the woman who just touched his garment? You remember the woman that prayed for her daughter? And without, you remember Jairus? He said, you don't even have to go. He said, oh man, what great faith. Go home, your child is well. Even though the child had died, Jesus healed that person. I, I do love, I talk about some of the negativity. I do love the new swing in the way we express the death of a saint. When we say God has answered our prayers, they are whole. They have been healed. Because that's true. That is true, my friends. Your loved ones who died in the faith, we may not understand everything over there, but I can guarantee you one thing according to faith in God's Word is they're not hurting anymore. There is no crying. There is no sickness. There is no death. They are whole in the Lord because of His power over death. Over the grave, his own. Over Lazarus, hey, he called, boom, he came. When Jesus got up, he didn't need anybody to call him by name. He just got up and rolled out very early in the morning. There's victory over hell. He went into the heart of the earth and led captivity captive. And he can keep you from dying and going to hell if you place your faith in truth. And victory over Satan. Satan can't do any. I've already talked about it. Satan can't do anything to you that God doesn't allow. And then his coming. He said his power and his coming. It's supernatural. Spirit conceived, virgin born. And think about this. Herod issued a satanic attack to try to keep him from being born, not understanding the fullness. He just knew something wasn't right and he wanted it dead. And Jesus won. His coming. He speaks of this in his verse, that it was a focus on not just his power and his coming, but his majesty. This is his words, his works, his worship, who he was. There when God said, this is my son, oh, the majesty, his honor. This honor means esteemed value. His father said, look, that's my boy in whom I am well pleased. Don't you love to make you swell up in pride when you, your child just, well, that's my boy, that's my girl. Man. Almighty God looked at his son and said, 
what honor I bestow upon my son. His glory. Listen, Peter saw his glory from the angels, from the shepherds, from the wise men, from the rabbis that Jesus taught at the age of 12 years old and from the Father. Oh, what glory he deserves from you and me. And then his light he speaks of in this text. John says his light, Jesus' light, is the life of men shining in a dark, dark world. Listen, as they come to the instruments, I want to conclude this message by answering a question. I want to answer the question that Pilate asked Jesus. Hear me today. I know it's been a little long, but it's, it's been all about Jesus, and I don't want us stirring or anything that may disrupt someone's need to trust truth, truth, truth. And so listen, get focused right now. Focus on Jesus, only Jesus, listening to God. Hear me. Pilate asked Jesus this. What is truth? Though he did not want the answer, he asked him, what is truth? And he turned and walked away. Today you may be hearing the message and you think, man, all this isms and all this, uh, you know, what, what really matters? What, everything's so vague. Everything's so different. Really, what, what is truth? Well, I'm here to tell you today. I want to give the answer. My friend, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the way. He is the only way. He's the only truth. And without Him, there can be no lie. Do you know this truth? Do you? Will you turn over all your doubts, all your fears, all your questions, all your excuses, and trust the only truth the world will ever know? But understand, we're about to stand. God's calling you to come. You need to understand, it does not come without a cost. Jesus paid the price for your salvation. But the world hates those who stand for truth. They killed the prophets, enslaved and murdered the apostles, and they continue to persecute authentic truth followers. But, won't it be worth it? My child, stand. Come to Jesus this morning. Come find truth. Come and let God move in your family, move on your job, move in our culture, move in our country. Come.